Good morning. morning. Well, as Derek said, we're just getting ready to blow your minds. Since your minds get blown during the service, we're going to blow your minds. Hope you're ready for that. Um, This is Ron and Jenny, and we've been talking about this for a few weeks, that we're going to take a trip to Israel. And the reason why is, is that we focus on the Bible as the number one catalyst for spiritual growth. And somebody told me years ago that if you go to Israel, I mean, it just brings the Bible to life. And so I had said that. And right after we had planned this trip, I was talking to Ron and Jenny. They have just returned. How many, how long ago was it? A couple months ago? One month. One month. Oh, yes. Good. You keep your hand on the mic and only let him speak when you think it's okay. Okay, that's good. That's the way it happens in my house, too. Um, So one month ago. And so I don't want to steal their thunder, but they had some really cool things to say. So what was that like for you? How was it over there? Whoever wants to go first. Well, to begin, I'll just... Can I just share that in our community group this past week, we got off on a little tangent about Thomas the Doubter, um, and blessed are those who believe without seeing. So I did just want to mention that you certainly don't need to pilgrimage to Jerusalem or Israel in order to have a deep faith uh, in God's word. But that said, it was so neat to see the caves at En Gedi where David wrote his psalms or stand on top of Mount Carmel where Elijah called upon the Lord to bring forth fire or be on the very body of water, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus performed three boat miracles, one of which Pastor John is going to talk about today. Um, I think what struck me the most was how deliberate and intentional God is. He chose to reveal himself in a specific place through a specific people. And I didn't realize what an Americanized view I brought to reading the passages of Scripture until I was able to go there and reread the passages within the context of the landscape and the culture. And not a day has gone by when I haven't been grateful for the trip and fallen more in love with Christ and his word. Uh, Well, Jenny wants to move to Israel, if that gives you any idea (laughs) about whether she enjoyed the trip. And, And I'll just echo what she said, that when you read the scriptures now, when you're over there and you read the scriptures and you're in the place where it happened, it just turns the Bible from a two-dimensional experience to a three-dimensional experience. Um, And one of the great benefits of the trip is not only will you have Pastor John going through the readings and taking you through the scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but you'll also have an expert on Jewish culture, Jewish history, and, and he or she adds so much to our understanding. As Jenny was mentioning, we have such a, a, a one-sided view of, of the world and of the Middle East. And then um, the third thing I just wanted to say is, if you're going over there expecting a leisurely vacation, this is not your trip. This is a very, these are very full days. You're up early. You're on the go. You get off the bus. You've got your Bible in one hand. You've got a notebook in the other hand. You've got your camera in the other hand. There's a lot going on. So it's, it's, a, busy, it's a busy week or 10 days. And then my final point is, some people have said to us they've been concerned about safety. Let me tell you, there's no place in the world that is unsafe, as we well know. And there were people on our trip. There were single women on our trip. There was a woman who didn't know anyone else in in the group that was 75 years old that went on that trip. And everyone felt very safe. So if that's a concern, um, do do not have that concern. And it's it's a great experience, and I would encourage anyone with any 
um, interest to really consider it prayerfully because I think you'll find it a great experience. So the reason we're doing all this is it just really brings the Bible to life because when we grow spiritually, God things, God things, not good things, God things happen in our lives. So we have a table in the lobby because we're doing all this because on Sunday, June the 9th, after both services, the travel agency that's hosting our trip will be here and they'll do a, like, they'll do a meeting after both services and answer any and all questions. But you can go and see Yodi or Ron or Jenny at the table and ask them any question you want in the lobby as soon as the service is over. It's going to be super, super cool. All right. I'll take oh, You want to read from this? You want to use it? Okay. Ron also is going to read the Bible for us today. And we are reading John chapter 6, if you'd like to follow along. You may remember that last week we read John 6, 1 through 15, where um, Jesus fed the 5,000. So picking up in verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Thank you, Ron. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would speak to us today. Uh, many of us here in this room are right now at this very moment in the middle of a storm. For some of us, it's a really big storm. For some, it's just kind of a so-so storm. And for those of us who aren't in a storm, there's probably a storm coming. So God, help us. You know, what can we learn from this passage that we need to know that's going to help us to navigate through the storms that life throws at us? We ask this, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so just really briefly, did you catch the, the kind of that verse 15 that sets the tone for all this? It's the feeding of the 5,000. And they say, they're going to come and make Jesus king by force. Like, they're going to force him to be king. That's a really important verse that we're going to come back to in just a moment. Jesus, now, this is in Matthew and Mark. The story is in Matthew and Mark. And each one of them, you might read it and say, hey, well, why isn't that included in everything? Because each one of the writers, Matthew, Mark, and here, John, are all emphasizing something that's important. They're trying to get something across. But we can piece a couple things together from the different stories that they all tell us about this one thing that took place. And that is, first of all, Jesus forces the disciples to, to, to go away after the feeding of the fight. He, he forces it very strongly. He says, go to Bethsaida and wait for me. We're told here in John, they get to Bethsaida, and they're like, hey, look, Jesus is taking a long time to get here, so we're just going to take off. We're going we're gonna to go. We're going to launch out. We don't, we don't want to wait anymore. And so they're out in the boat in the middle of this lake, Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by mountains. 
And so winds would come off all of a sudden onto that lake, off those mountains, and they would just erupt into a huge storm. And this is what's happening. It's happening in the middle of the night. And they've been rowing for about six to nine hours approximately. We pieced that together. And they're struggling. The idea here is they're struggling. Now, when it says they saw Jesus coming walking to them, we don't get all the nuances in the English language that are there in the Greek. So in the Greek, when it says he comes walking, the word for walking is he's effortlessly walking. So there's the picture in your mind that I want is that they're struggling, struggling at the oars as hard as they can. And here Jesus is just effortlessly walking along and they're terrified. And he says, don't, don't be afraid. It is I. Literally in the Greek, it said, he says, it is I am. And for those of you who have read the Bible at all, you know that those two words, I, you know that I am is very important. It's a little awkward in the English for them to put that here, but in the Greek, that's what he says. It is I am. I'm God. Here I am. And this is, then they're willing. Isn't this interesting? I like the way John, but then they're willing to take him into the boat. And then something else happens, which seems like a miracle to me. It says immediately the boat reaches its destination. The question is here, where are you trying to get to? Where are you trying to get to? What destination are you trying to get yourself to? Like you say to yourself, if I could just get blank, fill in the blank, I would be happy. I'd be content. I'd be fulfilled. Whatever. What, what, what is it? What, where is it you're trying to get to that you say, now there, I will be content. I'll be content when I can get to this place. There's a very interesting psalm. The 107th psalm kind of has some things that smack of this story, actually, almost, almost kind of in a prophetic way in some sense. I just want to read it to you. It, it'll be on the screen behind me. So this is what it says. And the 107th psalm, written, you know, thousand years before this incident takes place. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted. So the waves mount up to the heavens. If you've ever been in a boat, in a small boat, as I have, in the middle of a large body of water when a storm comes up and the waves get really high, you can right now identify with this situation. I know I could. The waves seem like they go up to the heavens. They mounted to the heavens and then down to the depths. And they're peril their courage melted away they reeled and they staggered like drunkards they were at their wits end they cried out to the lord in their trouble and he brought them out in their distress he stilled the storm to a whisper the waves of the sea were hushed they were glad when it grew calm and check this out ready and he guided them to their desired haven what is your desired haven we can, we can debate, and that's another sermon about, is your haven God's haven for you, right? Is that God's will? But let's leave that alone. That's a whole other sermon. Let's just assume that your desired haven is also God's desired haven for you because God wanted them, Jesus wanted them to get to Capernaum, and that's where they're headed to Capernaum. They're just doing it the wrong way, which is what I want to talk about this morning and what we see in this story because there's some fascinating things in this story. What happens, everybody, when we get in a storm? We get in a storm, and we kind of 
you know, freak out. And we just like, like the psalmist, you read these psalms. For years, I never understood the psalms. I'd read them. And one moment, the psalmist is like, oh, man, God is just all that. He's got me. Everything's great. I'll never have a problem. And like the very next psalm, it's like, where are you, God? I can't, you can't hear me. Are you listening? Are you up there? The psalms are unfiltered emotions and thoughts and prayers towards God of the ups and downs of the psalmist's life. That's why they're all over the place. And it reminds us of who? Ourselves and storms. And so when we get in a storm, we're like, God, can you see me? Why are you hiding from me? I was, I was in, it was actually after a storm. I was on a small boat, 25, 26-foot boat heading from Fort Lauderdale to Bimini in the Bahamas. I was 15 years old. And, and man, the waves were just awesome. I remember leaving the inlet that day, and they were, like, coming in through the inlet, like, seven or seven, eight feet high. And as a 15-year-old, this was incredible. I thought it was great. And I, for about 45 minutes, it was great. And then I was exhausted, and I turned around and couldn't see land anymore. And I remember my next question, Dad, are you sure the boat can handle this? Well, the motor went out in the middle of the Gulf Stream. Can't see land anywhere. Waves are huge. And about the time the motor goes out, a big oil tanker is on the horizon heading straight to us, like dead on at us. And as it got closer and closer, like a skyscraper coming, the feeling was so strong. You know, can they see us? Can God see us? Does anybody see us? Why don't they see us? And we started radioing them. You know, the name of the oil tank was Mississippi Texaco. Do you, Mississippi Texaco, do you see the little speck in front of you? Right? Do you see us out there? And I remember it's like jumping up and shouting, because I thought for sure we're getting run over by this oil tanker and we're just going to get splashed by their big propeller or something like that. Jumping up and down, we had a gun on board. Dad, I'm going to grab the gun and just start shooting at the oil tanker. (laughs) Yeah surely they'll see us. And it seemed like at the last minute they radioed back, yes, we see you. And then they turned and then this huge thing comes by us. Here's the first thing I want to say about this. We're talking about Jesus coming to our rescue today. Here's the first thing Jesus rescues us from. Jesus rescues us from our confusion because it's in the middle of our storm that we think if Jesus Christ would just come out of hiding, if God would come out of hiding, if God would just show up, Everything's going to be all right. I'd make it to my desired haven if God would just stop hiding. Why is he hiding from me? Why is he not listening? Why doesn't he show himself? You know, who's played hide-and-seek here before? Hide-and-seekers? Okay, all right. Uh, You know what's really important about that game? It's important to know who's hiding and who's seeking, right? Because if if everybody's hiding and nobody's seeking, it takes the fun out of the game. You You know what I'm saying? And if everybody's seeking and nobody's hiding, that takes the fun out of the game too. Well, we have, I think we have some confusion here about who's hiding. I, I heard uh, just a couple weeks ago, somebody said, what is the story of the Bible or what is the story of Christianity? What is it really all about? Why do we have the Bible? I said, okay, here, here it is. Here's what, here's, what, here's what the Bible's all about. It's about humanity's search for God. Is that right? Is that what Christianity or the Bible is about? Is it about our search for God? The Bible tells a completely opposite story to that. We have it mixed up. Who's the hider and who's the seeker? Because in the Bible, what you see, it is God who is it, the seeker, and he's searching for us, and we are the hiders. You don't have to read far in the Bible to get this, do you? Genesis chapter 3. 
right? We're three chapters into the Bible. Who's hiding and who's seeking there? Adam and Eve are hiding and God is the seeker. He's always the seeker. We're always the hider. God, can you see me? He's like, I'm not the one that's hiding. Uh, How about Moses? Moses is hiding in the desert and who comes and finds him? God. We could talk about all kinds of stories. We talk about Gideon. We can talk about Saul. All of these people we could talk about doing the hiding. But I think what's the confusion that needs to be cleared up right here at the beginning is who's the hider, who's the seeker? Jesus says he's the permanent it. He's the permanent seeker. I'll permanently be it. I have come to do what? I have come to seek. He's the seeker. And so Jesus clears this up for us right here in the beginning. Who is the hider and who is the seeker? And he is seeking them out. This story in John chapter 6 is Jesus saying, no matter how bad the storm is you're going to through, no matter how dark it might be, I will always find you. I'll find you in the middle of that lake. I'll find you in the darkest night. I will come and find you. You think you're coming to find me. I'm actually coming to find you. See the part where it says, so they were willing to take him into the boat? They were willing to finally say, I'm ready to come out of hiding. All over this room, there's all kinds of stories here about us trying to reach our desired haven, whatever that haven is. That place of peace, a place of fulfillment that we long for from God. And we're just thinking, God, if you would just show up, if you would just show up and come out of hiding, end your hiding, everything would be okay. But we're confused. And Jesus is going to rescue us from our confusion. The person who's actually hiding is always us. What we need this morning is the help of the Holy Spirit to show each one of us where we are hiding. Where are we hiding? Because if we're ever going to make it to our desired haven, we have to figure that out. Why in AA is the first thing they do? I'm John. I'm alcoholic. Why is that necessary at the beginning? Why is that step number one? Hi, I'm John. I'm alcoholic. Why is that? It's me saying, I'm coming out of hiding. I'm coming out of hiding. Here's who I really am. And when we come out of hiding, that's when the renewal, that's when things can get good. That's when God can begin to repair and put things in. When they took him into the boat, when they came out of hiding in the middle of that storm, that's when things get better. I dislocated this finger years ago uh, badly playing basketball. looked like a Z going. And I remember so strongly... That the, the first thing when I looked at it, I did not want to see it. It was so frightening to look at. It happened in the gym right here at TJ. I, uh, I covered it. I, I wanted to put it in hiding. It hurt. And I remember, going, I remember first going to the trainer here and saying, showing him real quick, put it out and put it back like this. I said, will it just go away? He's, no, it won't just go away. I remember going to the emergency room at Arlington Hospital, and I'm holding it, and the doctor's like, you got to show me, <laughs> you have to show me the finger if we're going to fix it. What do you need to come out of hiding from? And this is really personal. What is it? We can't get there, everybody. We cannot get to that desired haven until we allow Almighty God to find us. 
to find us. And a lot of times we say, oh, John, I'm not hiding. I'm jumping up and down, screaming for God to find me. But we're confused. I coached basketball for, for many years. I had a player on my team, best player on my team, actually. And I would always talk to him about getting open. And he said, I'm screaming for the ball. They never pass it to me. And this went on for game and game. They never, I'm screaming. They never pass. I said, yes, you are screaming for the ball, but you're hiding on the court. Instead of standing here in the open where they can see you, you're screaming for the ball over here behind people and they can't get the ball to you. Is this making sense? I know you're screaming, oh God, just show up. What I'm, God is never hiding in the scriptures. It's a false assumption that God is hiding. The person hiding is us. So I have to ask myself when I'm trying desperately to get to this place, the desired haven, I've got to ask myself, okay, where am I hiding? And this is really scary because for some of us, like, I am so afraid that I've come out at everything. I'm going to lose the game. When you all played hide and seek, do you remember that thing that we used to say when it was okay to come out? Is anybody? Ali, Ali. Say it louder. What was it? Oxen free. Okay, I looked it up this past week. There's tremendous confusion about that whole thing. (laughs) Some people think it's a British thing. Some people think it's a German thing. The the Germans want to claim the thing, and the British want to claim it. They're all wrong. It's probably an American thing. But... uh, it's either Ali, Ali, it's either O-L-L-Y, Ali, or A-L-I, Ali. Yeah, oxen free, or all come free. We don't know, but we do know what it means at the end of the game. It means that it's safe to come out. It's safe to come out. We won't, some of us are hurting so badly here. We want something. You got to come out of hiding. You got to say it. You gotta, it's okay. It's safe. Come out. Just say it like it is to God. Come out of hiding and want to be found. That, that's the first thing, okay? Um, and here's, here's the second. And let me just say this. We're going to get into the Holy Spirit in just a second. Because a lot of us are hiding and we don't even know it. I'm, okay, I'm hiding a lot and I don't even realize it. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. Here's the second thing that Jesus rescues us from. He's going to rescue us from our pride. And you're thinking, hey, man, don't we talk about pride all the time? Well, yes, sometimes we do. But it's a problem. Um, Think about this. Why does Jesus dismiss the crowd? This is the moment, everybody. This is the moment he's been waiting for. We're going to force you to be king. Well, isn't that what God wants for Jesus to be king, the king of our lives? We just did that video here this morning. He's the king of kings. So did you think that was cool? That's a, some of you didn't recognize it. Some of you did. This is thing from like the 70s, SM Lockridge. Like if he would have done this today, that thing would have gone viral. So that was done many, 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 many years ago. But it's, it's absolutely, he's the king of kings. Isn't that what they wanted is for him to be the king? This situation is dripping and drenched in pride. And because it's dripping with pride, Jesus forces the crowd away. He goes up on them, and he forces the disciples away, and then he goes up on a mountain all by himself alone to pray. What is the problem? Can't you see his disciples saying, like, this is the moment we've been waiting for. What are you doing? Why, why are you doing this? So confused. And yet he forces them away. 
they did not want Jesus Christ to be king because, sorry, he'll be all right. He's working with the baby. I've been there many times myself. Um, They didn't want Jesus Christ to be king because they loved Jesus. They wanted Jesus Christ to be king because they loved themselves. They did not want Jesus Christ to be king because they loved Jesus. They wanted Jesus Christ to be king because they loved themselves. I'm afraid that's why we have a lot of people in churches all around the world today, not because they love Jesus, but because they love themselves. What was going to happen here is Jesus was going to put in power their people, their plans, their party. And that's what they were into, their agenda. He was And Jesus saw right through it. They couldn't see it through. They were like confused. What, this, is, this is perfect. This is the moment we've been waiting for. But it was dripping with pride. And a lot of times we can't see it. If we were there, we wouldn't be able to see it either. A lot of times we don't see our own pride that keeps us from our desired haven. And that's how we need the Holy Spirit's help to help us to see that. All right, I want to read you just, um, we'll do three quick fill-ins about pride, what pride does from this story. First of all, pride divides it divides. So Jesus has to force them away. I love. Pro- I always love Proverbs six sixteen because it's like the proverb. The writer of the proverb is saying here, are, you know, six things the Lord is saying. Wait a minute, no, there's seven. He says there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. And the first thing he detests is what? Haughty eyes, arrogance, and pride. James says this. Read this one often. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So there's a division, and you see that in the story. What you see in the story is Jesus Christ has to go all the way, all by himself because the situation is so dripping with pride, it's drenched with pride, that he's all by himself. Everybody has to go away. The crowd's got to go away. His disciples got to go away. He goes up onto the mountain all by himself because it's drenched and thick with pride. Pride is so subtle, we can't see it. Here's the second thing about pride does. Pride deceives. Obadiah 1.3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. So Jesus says to them, after this moment, he feeds like, oh, Jesus, you're the king, man. You're awesome. You're so much the king. We're going to force you to be king. So the king says, go to Bethsaida and wait for me. They go to Bethsaida and like, we've waited long enough in Bethsaida. And I know you're the king, but we really know better. So we're going to take off and get in this boat and go on over to Capernaum. Does that make sense? They're at the height, supposedly, of their respect for Jesus and his authority. And in, right on the heels of that? They're like, we don't believe in your authority. Is, it, is that messed up? Do you understand that? And what's deceiving them is their own pride. It's freaking their brains out. They can't quite figure this out. We are often deceived and we don't even know it because we're dripping in pride. We don't even, we, just, we, can't, we can't see it. Oh, the opportunity for them to get to their desired haven and their estimation is closing like a window. Where do you feel like there's somewhere you're trying to get? Something that you want, some desire, something you've been Where do you feel like, you know what? That window's closing. I better go ahead and get it. I can't wait for Jesus anymore. I've got to leave because it's getting dark. I've got to go. He's not going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen myself. I know he told me not to leave Bethsaida, but that's okay. I've got to do this thing because really I'm just trying to get to where God wants me to go. Do you follow me? And so they do this. And so they take off. Jesus says, wait for me. And their pride says, no, we're not. We are not. We are not going to wait. Final thing, pride destroys. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. So subtle, pride divides, 
pride deceives, and then pride destroys. I mean, so many times in my life, I thought to myself, here's the thing I want, I'm praying for it, and I said, God, I'm ready, you know, come on. Like I was ready years ago. Now, I look back on my life at those times where I told God I was ready, and I look back and I think to myself, man, I was nowhere near ready. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if God would have given me that thing then, we would have had a problem, right? But we think in our pride that we're totally ready for whatever it is in life. Now they're out, and they're in the middle of this lake, and their boat is being destroyed. They're being destroyed by this huge storm that they find themselves in. Pride is very subtle. All right, I want to show you a magazine. Let's put that magazine cover up. Got it right here, but I put it up large here. Did anybody see the Time magazine this past week? I want to talk to you about some stuff that is in this Time magazine about millennials. If you're here this morning, you're between the ages of 15 and 35, would you raise your hand? We'd like to see you. Okay. Everybody take a look. Keep your hand up. Everybody look at those people, about at least half the people in the room. Just look at them and just shake your head and say, you are such a narcissist. (laughs) Can you do that? This is the Millennials are Lazy Entitled Narcissist. Oh, my goodness. Now, let me say this before we get into what the article talks about here. They say this, there are no hard boundaries. It's not like if you're 36, you're immune from this thing today. All right, do do we understand? I mean, the boundaries are like super fuzzy, okay? And we're in a culture, and the stuff I'm going to talk about is, it's not like, ah, nasty stuff, but, you know, it's stuff that keeps us from our desired haven because it's so smacks of pride. There's just some really cool things in this article. I should have marked the page, but I I didn't. Anyway, uh, here we go. All right, let me just give you some sound bites. Now I want to read a couple things that are in here. Millennials are between the ages of 15 and, and 35. There's 80 million of them in the United States of America alone. Narcissistic personality disorder amongst that generation is three times as high as any other generation. Three times as high. They love, check this out, they love taking pictures of themselves on there. It's, 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 does anybody here love to take a picture? Is anybody here? It's called being a selfie. Does anybody like to, to do that? Anybody? Nobody will raise your hand. Come on, narcissist. It's all right. Raise your hand. It's called being a selfie. You know what? I was at a wedding yesterday at the reception, and I was talking to a millennial. I didn't even bring this up. And she says, I love taking pictures of myself. I said, oh, my gosh. This is really true. My wife is a quasi-selfie. She's taking these pictures, but she won't take it just of herself. She always takes it with her kids. She'll do these things, pictures of her kids all the time, or that dumb dog of hers. She'll take pictures (laughs) all the time. Very young at heart. Very young at heart. She is very young at heart. Okay. Uh, They are fame-obsessed. They would rather be, they would rather be a personal assistant, millennials, would rather be a personal assistant to a big-time celebrity than be a senator. Whoa, think about that. Famous this. They're guiding morality. It is, listen, this is good. In any given situation, they believe they will be able to just feel what is the right thing to do. They'll just feel what the right thing to do. All right? Here's, it says in here, millennials don't need us. Like, they don't need the rest of us. If you're not a millennial, they don't need you. Doesn't that sound a lot like the disciples when they pushed off and Bethsaida headed to Capernaum? They don't need Jesus. They'll just get this thing done all by themselves. They don't need it. Millennials have received so many participation trophies for sports. It's kind of skewed their outlook at life. 
40% of millennials believe that they should get promoted every two years regardless of their performance. Is that awesome? I want to read you directly from here a couple things that are really cool. This is where I'm going. All right. They got this way partly because in the 1970s, people wanted to improve kids' chances of success by instilling self-esteem. It turns out that self-esteem is great for getting a job or hooking up at a bar, but not so great for keeping that job or that relationship. Let me skip down and keep reading. The problem is that when people try to boost self-esteem, they accidentally boost narcissism instead. This ge- Here we go. This is where it gets serious. This generation has the highest likelihood of having unmet expectations with respect to their careers and the lowest levels of satisfaction with their careers at the stage that they're at. Check this out. It is sort of a crisis of unmet expectations. One last one I want to read to you. They might look calm, but they're deeply anxious about missing out on something better. 70% of them check their phones every hour. And ready? And many experience Phantom pocket vibration syndrome. I just, I I think somebody just sent me a text. Just a second ago. Okay. Uh, All right. Let me, let me wrap this up because the millennials are sick and tired of this. Uh, Here's the only thing I'm after with this. Okay, and again, this isn't just millennials. So if you're if you're like 35 or younger here, this, all of us, we're, our world is, our culture is dripping with this. Our culture is dripping with this. It just is, and so it's so subtle. It's not a nasty, mean thing. It just is. It just is, and we don't even know it. The pride is so subtle. Here's the problem: why I'm talking about that? It's keeping us. Did you, the part they're dis, they'll be discontent. There's a crisis of discontentment. They're missing out on something. We're missing out on something. Unmet expectations, well, that's not what we want. We want to reach the desired haven. How are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? I'm going to tell you. John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. He says, all this I have spoken with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit. The word advocate means like a coach, like somebody who will come alongside of, who will encourage you and lead you. The Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Holy Spirit's going to take my place. Whom the Father will send in my name is going to teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What Jesus is saying is you can reach the desired haven. Peace. You can find it. But you're going to need a coach. Write that in. That's my last point. Listen to your coach. We need a coach. Look, look, look. Jesus was here. You know that when Jesus was around, he pulled, a, he pulled to him side like Peter or James or John. He says, hey, look, Peter, you did this thing over here, and you think you're trying to get to where you want to go, and you're going to be happy, but you got some issues. You're, you're hiding. You're hiding, Peter, or you got some pride. We, let's, come on, Peter. Let's work with that. That's what we need. We need to just do that. And so Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to replace me here on earth. He's going to coach you up. He's going to pull you along. That's why everything goes back to the filling of the new wine. Message number one in this series. You've got to have the Holy Spirit in your life.
You want to reach your desired haven? You want to reach that place? Holy Spirit, where am I hiding? Show me. I can't see it. Holy Spirit, where, where is pride like deceiving me? I've got to get rid of it so I can get to where I need to go. Do I get to where I need to go? I mentioned a few minutes ago I, I uh, coached a basketball team. I coached my last basketball team this past year because my son was a senior in high school, so I coached the last one, and I'll never coach again. But uh, we began the year. We had a lot of talent on our team. We played our first scrimmage. It was an absolute mess, and I didn't read enough positive coaching books. So what I, well, I brought the team over. I, I started off well. I said to them after the scrimmage was over, it was a complete mess, and we just got drilled. We got killed. I said to them, I said, you guys have a lot of talent, okay? So I started off really well. And then I said, but you're extraordinarily undisciplined, you're selfish, and you're probably never going to win a game this whole season, okay? <laughs> what, 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 we need, what we need, right, is we need the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us. Look, we're going to have communion, and we're going to stop right now, we're going to have communion. I don't want to get into a lot of theology about communion this morning. Let's just say this. Let's all agree to this, that Jesus clearly says in the scriptures that when we have this meal that we call communion, when we have this meal, Jesus Christ is the honored guest. And here's what Jesus says. I'll show up. You do this meal, I'll show up. And if you'll kind of quiet your hearts this morning, some of us, we're we're deep in it. Our hearts are breaking because we haven't reached that desired place that we really want to go. If you'll quiet your heart this morning and you'll honestly say, Holy Spirit, Am I hiding? Show me. I want to come out of hiding. I know it's safe. Holy Spirit, is my pride deceiving me, dividing me, destroying me? I believe the Holy Spirit will help us. We need the Holy Spirit's help. So, uh, music team, come right on up. Let's pray. We're going to pray. The, the communion people are going to go to five different stations, okay? And what you do is you go, when it, whenever you feel like it, in the next few moments, whenever you feel like it, you just go to one of these places and you'll take the bread, the body, the body of Jesus Christ, and you'll dip it into the cup, the blood of Jesus Christ in the new covenant. Okay? And you can either step aside and consume it right there, or you go back to your seat. But we have just a few moments left, just a few moments. Just take a, just take a look. I want you, and more than I want you, God wants you a whole lot more to reach that desired haven. He wants you to get there. Do not allow... Do not allow hiding or pride to keep you from that awesome place. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask God, you'd bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup. Jesus, we already know you're going to be here because you promised to be here. Help us, God, to muster all the courage that we have this morning to come out of hiding. Help us to, to see the subtle pride that invades our life and that keeps us from that place. And Lord, finally, I want to pray for a bunch of people to finally reach their port this morning, to finally make it to the shore, to finally make that thing that is in their hearts that you want for them and they want for them. God, get us home. Get us home, please. Let us hear about miracles. In Jesus' name, amen.